Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Who is the church? What is the church? It's you and it's me. It's every nation, every tribe, every race. It's a worldwide movement that at its best is a movement of hope and healing and restoration and reconciliation. Let's be that. Let's do that. It's what the world needs from us. Yeah, let's be that. Let's do that. This is uh, week number one. Uh, We're going to spend the next seven weeks in um, this series that we're calling What is the Church? I'm excited about this series. Um, Of course, I have to say that, right? Because I, you know, kind of do this preaching thing. So if I'm not excited, we're all in big, big trouble. But we're going to spend seven weeks looking at the history of the first century church. We're going to look at what the key moments are. What are the defining moments that help us know how to follow Christ today? What did the first century church do that was so effective in their ministry in that first century world? Uh, Today, we could look at the very first sermon, but we're not. We could look at the mass conversions that happened after that first uh, message was preached. We could look at the way the church Uh, brought people together. Uh, We call our small groups around, we call them crews. So we can look at the first crews that were created around this first century church. But we're going to focus instead on the very beginning of the church. We're going to see, kind of take a look and, and assess what it means for us today. So a couple things. Um, as we begin this series, I want to be just, I want to be clear that uh, the church was not created with clever strategies and techniques, but it was created by the action, the action of the Holy Spirit. Nothing they could have done could have created what we now know as the local church, as the worldwide church. Nothing they could have done could have sustained it for this long. But the Holy Spirit entered the picture and he entered those first believers and the fire of revival broke out. The church was not created to be a gathering of like-minded people to share the experience of faith without an effective life experience outside the walls of the gathering space. The holy huddle isn't a thing that we should be about, if that's the only thing we're about. We gather together to be empowered by the Spirit, to move out into our world and create a different experience for those we encounter. God did not plan for his church to be divisive, racist, chauvinistic, He did not create the church to be a cesspool of slander and gossip. What have we created? What have we created? 
His plan, his commission for the church was that under his authority, the church would scatter and infiltrate the population with a convincingly beautiful new way of living. We, the church, are charged with teaching others how to live with the assurance that no matter what, he would be with them and with us all the way to the end. God is not with us for just a moment. He is with us all the way to the end. Now, for uh, all of us in the house and all of you online, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, it'll also be on the screen behind me. And we'll just begin in verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, on the day of Pentecost. So let's just pause there for a second. Pentecost. See, we think sometimes that um, Pentecost was something that was invented, if you will, at the time that um, what we're about to read about at the time that that happened. Pentecost was already a holiday in the Jewish calendar. And so they were already gathered for the Pentecost. This was 50 days after Passover, 40 days after the resurrection, and 10 days after after Jesus had ascended to heaven, 10 days after Jesus had given them the charge of what they were to do now that he was leaving. So this is the day of Pentecost. All the believers were gathered together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. So imagine with me what happens When you're sitting in a house with 120 people or however many people were gathered in that space, and suddenly, like a mighty windstorm, this breath of God, this this wind fills the house. Then, and Dr. Luke is writing this like he is so like detailed about what happens. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So as as Luke writes this, he is pointing to the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's, He's making a distinction, a clear distinction between the Old Testament that was that was uh, uh, Torah centered and, and Torah directed. The Old Testament that was giving them uh, what they needed to know about God up until that point. And now he's making a distinction and saying, faith in Jesus is what the Holy Spirit is doing in you now. It's now Christ-centered. It's now Spirit-directed. When he talks about the wind and the fire and the, the, um, the ability to uh, speak with inspired speech... He's pointing to, so that so the Greek uh, word for wind would be um, something like pneuma, pneuma. And uh, the Hebrew word would be, would be like ruah. And, and so he's, he's writing this and he's saying the pneuma, the ruah, this is the breath of God. So God shows up with wind. He shows up with fire. He shows up with inspired speech. Now, these would have all been recognized ways that God had made himself known to the Jewish people over time. Um, This whole idea of breath of God, do you remember? Do you remember like uh, Ezekiel? 
Ezekiel, when he was prophesying over the dry bones, he had this, God gave him this vision, and he saw all these bones laying in the boneyard, dead. And God said, prophesy over those bones, and they will rise. Like, tell those bones that God's going to breathe. I'm going to breathe life over them. As I was preparing for this, I had to again think about the dryness that some of us feel, even in this moment. Our bones ache. We are dry. And this morning, I hope you hear that God still breathes new life into dry bones. God still breathes life into you and I. That's how we step into places of faith. That's how we step into places and circumstances where the only reason we're there is because God has ordained us to be there. And the only thing we can do is speak life into the people that we encounter. This is the sort of thing that you and I must be about if we're going to live into this New Testament church community as we are called to. God often speaks in ways that are unusual. But I'm here to tell you this morning, he also speaks to you and I in ways that are familiar, just as he did to the Jewish people, showing up with wind and fire and inspired speech. Now at that time, in verse 5, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Imagine this. They're all there for, pass, or for, uh, for Pentecost. All of, they come from all over. When they heard the loud noise, everybody came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. The question that could be posed this morning is, what kind of noise is the church making today? What kind of noise are we making? What would cause people to come running? What are those things? It says they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee. See, the Galileans, they were not well thought of. Like they couldn't even pronounce some of the guttural uh, pieces of their dialect that and people would look down on them for. But here they are speaking clearly and it, They're speaking for Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome were there, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, and we all hear these people, and, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages, they said. They're speaking about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there, amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they ask. What can this mean? See, there's a thing that we value around here, and that is speaking human. What does that mean, speaking human? Well, it means that we avoid speaking in a way from the stage that would cause you to go, I have no idea what they're talking about. We try to speak human. We try to speak in ways that our culture can identify with, our culture understands. That's what God did in that moment. He spoke human for every ear that was to hear the message of God. He spoke in their language through the people that were communicating the grace and mercy, all the good things about God. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, 
Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Y'all come back at 10 and we'll get the party started. That's what he said. Listen. Ad agency executives in the 24-7 news cycle, they've got headlines down pat, right? They're really good at creating uh, headlines that grab attention. And the first century church, this is quite a headline. It's too early to be drunk. Wow. What the onlookers, you know, uh, years ago I would listen to AM radio out of Chicago. And there was a guy on uh, one of the DJs. And he would always talk about, well, there's an accident out on I-90, blah, 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 you know, out on the highway, there's, there's an accident. And all those rubberneckers are, you know, slowing down, causing traffic to pile up. Well, we had onlookers and rubberneckers looking on as these people who said, uh, who, who appeared to be drunk, weren't drunk. But these onlookers meant what they said as a, as a sort of a derisive comment. But this only served to motivate Peter to lay it all out. In that moment, in that moment with Old Testament historicity and the experiences of the last three years with Jesus and now the Holy Spirit's power, he, he stepped boldly into that moment that informs us still today. Let me, let me just say that in that moment, if Peter would have said, oh, dear God, I got to step up and I got to say something, but, but. I, I denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Yeah, I jumped out of the boat when, when I saw Jesus on the water, but, but then I saw the waves and I, did, I started sinking. I don't know if I can, no, he didn't do that. You know what? Satan tells you all those things that weren't right about your life. All those things that you did. Those are the things that come to haunt us in the moment when God calls us to step up and step out. We can't not step up and step out just because of, our, of what has happened back there. It's back there. God has seen all of our back there. And God has covered that with the blood of Jesus. So we don't need to go back there anymore. We don't need to feel disempowered. Instead, we're called as the people of God to step into places that we could have never expected to step into. Take, for example, what I'm doing this morning. <laughs> Maybe you don't know how crazy this seems to, to me, that I'm up here, that I'm leading a local church. But it is what God has called me to do. I'm confident of that. I'm confident that God has called me for this time and this place and this time. Here's the deal. He's called you as well. Maybe you're not called to preach. But you as a part of the local church. You as a follower of Jesus. Assuming you are. Are called to live out. The grace and mercy that he's given you, you're called to give it freely, give it away, give it away, give it away in every place you go. 
I imagine that Peter's ears were ringing with the command of Christ. As Christ, before, right before he ascended into heaven, he gave this charge to Peter and the disciples and to us as the local church. He said, go, go. That's an action verb, is it not? Go. Do something. Don't sit here this morning and leave here and not do anything. God is saying, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them how to live with the assurance that nobody... You know what? If we're going to teach someone how to live, we better know how to live ourselves. We can't just assume that everybody else knows how to live according to the ways of Jesus. And we can't assume that us living our lives in this box that we're sitting in right now or wherever you're sitting in online, we shouldn't just assume that because we live a certain way here that that's the way we're going to live out there. Not at all. The Spirit of God informs us as we go and do what he calls us to do. We show how to live. And we do so with the assurance that no matter what, God says, I will be with you all the way to the end. See, this was his plan then, and it is his plan now for the dispersed yet organized church in the world. We have to live this out in our context, just as the early church did in theirs. So how do we do this? We do it with great intentionality. We do it with great purpose. See, as your church board, as as the board of Restore, as as staff and team leaders, as as we plan and strategize how to best lead and guide this local expression at the corner of 5th and Madison in downtown Goshen, we're well aware that while strategies and techniques are not altogether unimportant, Our best laid plans are only as effective and powerful as our ceding of control to the Holy Spirit. Our best laid plans are only as good as our ability to surrender. We talk a lot about surrendering around here. Surrendering our lives. Part of that process is allowing the Holy Spirit to take control. And I'm not always very good at that. Like I'm kind of know what I want when I want it. I'm admitting that to you. But I also want to grow in this, and I have been. I've been growing in this, this, this thing that I know is so important. The thing that will, with, that will hold us back as a, as a church is if leadership is not willing to cede control to the Holy Spirit. This is why. You don't know this, but our staff team gathers in the early morning hours of Sunday mornings to pray. We pray together because we know that we're about to fulfill some tasks. I preach. Brax leads worship. Guys in the back on the tech crew, they run things back there. We have camera people. We know that if staff doesn't pray together, if, if the volunteers, we get together and huddle together, we pray together before we step foot into this space and begin our morning services, we know we can do certain things. What we can't do, what we can't do 
is transform a life. What we can't do is restore a marriage. What we can't do is help an addict resolve their addiction. We can help, we can step in, we can direct, we can do those things. But true transformation is far beyond any human effort. It is is the deep work of the Holy Spirit. This morning, Emily mentioned in her opening that we're doing a new thing called RDNA. That is another way for us to say, here's who we are as a church, but it doesn't stop there. That is another way to invite all of you to come alongside and say, I want more of the spirit life in me too. I want more of what God has to offer for me. This is another way to be informed and to uh, invite the Holy Spirit to just do what only he can do in your life. See, when we live the way of Jesus, love is the highest virtue. It's the highest value. When we remove love, we remove Jesus. Do you hear me? When we remove love from the equation of what it means to follow the way of Christ, we remove Jesus. Peter, in his first sermon, he opposed anything that was contrary to the way of love. He called it out. He called it out. And just like Peter did, we must do so as well. See, sometimes we think, we think that, well, we're just about love. Following Jesus, it's just about love. Awesome. Sort of is. But actually, you can't love well without speaking truth. You can't love well without extending grace and mercy. Grace, a truth without a grace is a disaster. And grace without truth is a disaster. It calls us, we are called, to love with tr- grace with truth and an extra portion of mercy. The way of Jesus, being the church, it is not about political power, control, and influence. Hear me again. The way of Jesus, being the church, is not about political power, control, and influence, but it is the ability to give up power for the sake of the other. See, Peter could have also said, Dude, I cut that guy's ear off. They came for Jesus. And they weren't going to get Jesus on my watch. So I cut that dude's ear off. What did Jesus do? Read the story. It's in the Gospels. Jesus reaches down, picks up the ear, puts it back on the guy's ear, and it's healed instantaneously. Giving up power for the sake of the other. The way of Jesus is about making a tangible difference in the lives of the people around us. See, if we don't love more, the kingdom is not advanced. If we don't love others more, all we have is a platform and a bunch of talking points. Uh, Paul writes in, in uh, Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, um, if you don't have love, 
you might as well just uh, grab a cymbal back here and just bang around on the cymbal because all you're doing is you're just making a bunch of noise. And when we just make a bunch of noise without the Holy Spirit's infusion, people go running instead of come running. They go running instead of come running. If we don't love more, we will fail to see the humanity and image of God in others. And in that process, we will forget who we are. We are called of God, children of God, redeemed by God. This kind of thinking, these kinds of kingdom values is what informed us as we launched Restore three years ago. Three years ago, we were pretty committed to a very simple mission, to know Jesus and our neighbors. We still are. That is what we're still committed to. And we're glad that you're with us on the journey. You might have seen this before, but I want you to see this again. Watch this. Here at Restore, our mission is to know Jesus and our neighbors. To know is as the word was used in the Apostle Paul's writing to the Philippian church. He said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. This is not a scenario where uh, Paul simply wanted to know about Jesus, but he, to know was to experience him. To know is really not so dissimilar to the relational intimacy of a husband and wife. It's, it's that close, it's that intimate. In a conversation with his disciples, Jesus said these words. He said, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. This is the reality of the kind of relationship that Jesus longs to have with us. Because when we know Jesus, when we have relationship with him, when love is our foundation, then everything else flows from that place of love. One day, Jesus was being tested by the religious elites. And one of them asked him about the greatest commandment. And Jesus pointed him back to the Old Testament in his reply. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then Jesus elevates that commandment by adding a second one, which he said was equally important, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. His response informs our mission. It, it is our mission. Our interaction with those around us, from the clerk at the grocery store, to the car wash attendant, to our very own families, will be markedly different when we experience Jesus and don't just know about him. That's what we believe we've been called to to know Jesus and our neighbor, to consider others better than ourselves, to look out for the good of others, and to put their interests above our own. When we live in this manner, we're going to find ways to serve, and we're going to find ways to commit to our neighbors, to invest in each other and in our community that will serve the common good. Friends, the way we live, the way we treat each other, will ultimately tell the gospel story, or it won't. Now the good news of Jesus is relevant. It's skin on acts of service and kindness. That's just the Jesus way. It's the way of grace and it's the way of mercy. Know Jesus and your neighbor, and church just might become relevant and effective again.
That's where we started three years ago. And that's where we are three years later. We still believe all of that to be true. Church just might be relevant again if we actually step into the places we're called to and allow the grace of God to ooze out of us everywhere we go. Let me close with this passage from 1 John 3, verse 18 to 24. Dear children, let us not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let's put some action behind the words, right? Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Listen, if you feel guilty this morning, if you feel like there's something undone in your life, you don't need to feel that way. God is greater than those feelings. Dear friends, verse 21, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. This is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Because those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. When Jesus ascended, when he left this earth, he said, hang tight, guys. That's why they were gathered together. He said, hang tight. I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send a helper. You'll be infused with the Holy Spirit. This is your informer, if you will. This is the one to listen to when you get into tight situations. For the disciples of that day, they weren't persecuted because they had to wear a mask. They were persecuted because they were getting put to death. I mean, it was a real deal for them. It was a life or death scenario that they had to face. Many of them died because of their faith. And in that moment, the informer, the Holy Spirit in them, the breath of God, the fire of God, spoke. Hang tight. I'm with you. You and I, you and I have that same wind of the Spirit. When we say yes to Jesus, it's a guarantee that He is giving you His Spirit in that moment. Would you stand with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we again want to just declare the truth of your word in this place. We want to declare that you have given us life. You've given it abundantly. And I, I just pray over these people this morning, over my friends in this space, all of those online, that God, you would do what only you can do. And that is make us aware. Give us a strong awareness of the move of your spirit in our lives, in our community, in our community of faith, outside of these doors, into the streets. Let us be the people that love. Let us make a noise that would cause people to come running, not go running. God, where there is guilt this morning, where there is fear, we speak against that. I, 
I speak against that in the name of Jesus. Let freedom be in this place. Let the chains of darkness and bondage be broken all over this room this morning. Freedom is ours, friends. It's ours in the name of Jesus. And it's in his beautiful name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.